0: Welcome to Saving Grace Church, located in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Our mission at Saving Grace Church is to love God, love others, and reach the world for Christ. We hope that this message brings you closer to God and helps strengthen your walk with Christ. We're going to be on Exodus chapter 11 and 12. So last Sunday... Jason Rummel did an outstanding job taking us through the plagues of Egypt. And he covered chapter after chapter, plague after plague, and showed how God, the one true God, Yahweh, is superior to all the false gods of Egypt. And he covered a large section of Scripture. Today we're going to slow down a little bit, and we're going to cover parts of chapter 11 and 12... And we're going to land on the final plague, the 10th plague. The the title of this message is Divine Rescue. So let's pray and then we'll jump in. Father, we pray that we would see you for who you are today. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to have a sense of urgency with sharing the gospel and a sense of uh, gratefulness for Uh, receiving your grace through Jesus Christ. Lord, would you open our eyes to see things that we have not seen before, and may they just hit us in a fresh way that would have a transforming effect on us as individuals and as a church. And We ask this in your name. Amen. So, look at Exodus 11, verse 1. The final plague. Verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Yet one more plague I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Got one left. Afterward, he will let you go from here. So if you remember all the other plagues, they were significant. They were catastrophic in many ways. But I got one more that when this one happens, Pharaoh is going to let you go. Verse 2. Speak now. In the hearing of the people, that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold and jewelry, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants and in the sight of the people. So, in other words, what they're doing is they're preparing that they're they're heading out of Egypt. They're leaving once for all. And God tells them to ask the Egyptian people for stuff, for silver, for gold. And and pack it, because you're going to leave, and you're going to leave abruptly. Look at verse 4. So Moses said, thus says the Lord. About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh... Who sits on his throne, even the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been nor ever will be again. This tenth plague is going to be catastrophic and it's going to require the death of the firstborn of all the humans, of all the animals. And it's a a response to Pharaoh's stubbornness and rejection of the one true God. So we're going to see the justice of God here. And we're going to see what happens as this tenth plague is poured out. And the implications that has for the people that are God's chosen people. The big idea of this passage is we must receive, remember, and respond to the Lord's rescue. We must receive, remember, and respond to the Lord's rescue. And we're going to start with the warning, because there is a stern warning, not just for the Egyptians, not just for Pharaoh, but for the Israelites as an entire people. So, point number one we must heed the divine warning. We must heed the divine warning. We're going to kind of jump around through chapters 11 and 12 today. So we're going to hit the fast-forward button. We're going to be in Exodus 12, verses 12 and 13. This is the divine warning. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And all of the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. I'm going to come through. The angel of the Lord is going to come through. I'm going to execute judgment. And all the false gods of Egypt and all the people of Egypt will know that the Lord, he is God. Verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, when I see the blood over the door, I will pass over. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this warning was a stern warning. It was a warning from the Lord. Even in the warning, there is mercy. And what's, I want us to consider some of the details of this. One of the things, even for the Israelites, what God said was, I will pass over the homes that have blood over the doorposts. What he didn't say is, I will pass over anyone who is an Israelite, anyone who is a Jew. No, you had to have the blood over the doorpost of an innocent, perfect lamb or goat. You had to be covered. Now, this judgment was a loud warning and a loud call of the holiness of God. Now remember, Jason alluded to this last week, that in Egypt, at the, in, during the time of the pharaohs, they, they actually gave the pharaohs godlike worship. They, they treated them as gods. And so what in this, this warning from the Lord is basically saying, I'm going to kill the next god who is in line for the throne, which would have been Pharaoh's firstborn son. See, this divine warning was showing who the true and living God, is and was. It was a loud warning. And the Israelites had to consider, do we believe this? And are we going to do this? Do we believe these words are true? And if we do, are we going to put blood over the doorposts? And we're going to see what what happens in a moment. But I, I first want us to think about the fact that God is still holy in the year 2021. That there is a divine warning for all human beings. I I looked at this disturbing website recently. I forget what it's called, but it basically shows how many people are dying in the world like every second. And uh, it was just kind of hard to get your mind around. But every one of us is going to meet the Lord face to face. There will be a day... When all of us meet the Lord face to face. And on that day, there's only one way to be safe and secure, and that's having put our faith in Jesus Christ, being covered by his perfect righteousness, being cleansed by his shed blood. But not everybody believes the warning, not everybody thinks that it's actually gonna happen that we're actually going to have to meet the maker of heaven and earth, the one who designed our very bodies face to face. And it reminds me, when I, when I grew up in York, Pennsylvania, we did a lot of fishing uh, in the Susquehanna River. And at one part of the Susquehanna River, above the Sa- Safe Harbor Dam, um, there's a, you get close to the dam and there's a warning. And I think it says, warning, 90 foot drop ahead. That it's, it's gonna happen. So, if you drive your boat further than the warning signs, you will eventually plummet. So, imagine if, at the time, as I was listening to my dad and I, imagine if we're fishing in the boat, we both see the sign, and we say, I don't think it's real. I don't think it's real. And I heard there's fish just over the edge here. And so, we just ignore the warning. It doesn't look real. Talk to each other, we eat our sandwiches. Doesn't feel real. I don't think it's real. Well, it doesn't really matter what my dad or I think about the reality of the warning sign. It actually is real. And if we would continue, we would go off the edge and plummet. There is a real God in heaven who is holy. And he really is holy He's also loving, he's also merciful, but his terms of acceptance are really, there's two ways to be right with him. The first is to be absolutely perfect, 100% of your life, in thought, word, or deed. If you do that, you can be accepted by God. The problem is, it's impossible. No human being except Jesus Christ could do that. I mean, consider your thought life of the past year. What you thought about people. What you thought about the news. What you thought about the pandemic. What you thought about the presidential election. Um, just, just pick that lane alone. Uh, there's all kinds of fodder for failure of perfection. The other way is to accept God's provision. Because there is one who is perfect, and that is Jesus. So we must Heed the divine warning. Consider these New Testament scriptures. So this isn't Old Testament Egypt. This is Jesus himself. Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's a New Testament Divine warning. John 3:18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So there's kind of two choices there. You reject God's provision, which would be the equivalent of the blood above the doorpost, faith in Jesus alone you reject that you're under his judgment all of us by nature were under his judgment Ephesians 2 says it this way well let me read John 3 36 first whoever believes in the son has eternal life whoever does not obey the son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him the judgment of God remains on him Ephesians 2, 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So these are heavy verses that tell of a real divine warning that we need to grapple with. We need to think about. And so, for many of us, maybe watching or in this room, you've trusted in God's provision. And so, you're no longer under the wrath and judgment of God. And if that's the case, you should be filled with joy and gratitude and amazement and wonder. But there's most likely a number of you in the room, and maybe some of you watching, that you haven't yet heeded the warning. You haven't yet accepted God's provision to spare you from the wrath to come. As many of you know, my kids run. And if you've been coming to church for a while, during cross country season, track season, I have the most running illustrations. And then I intentionally uh, try to drop them for a while. But I've been to three track meets in the last four days or five days. So they're, they're fresh in my mind. And, and I want, want you to think about, if you've never been to a track meet, um, we like the longer events. And so this is the events that most people don't care about, and uh, they take forever. But for those who love them, we, we love them. And so in the two-mile, there are eight laps around the tracks, 3,200 meters. And it's painful. It hurts. Adam uh, just started this year, and he's getting to experience the, the pain And the fun of running in a western Pennsylvania spring, winter, summer, fall. All in the last two weeks. Um, So you're in the race. The gun goes off and the race starts. And I want you to think of that as terms of like our life begins. You're born. You're conceived. You're born. You enter the world. The gun is off. So you're in this world and you're in this adventure and you're in this race. Well, in a track race, something happens at the final lap. That if you didn't already know you were in a race, you are now fully engaged. And what happens is in the final lap, you'll hear this. And what happens when that, sorry if that hurt your ears. What happens when that happens is everybody wakes up who was somewhat apathetic. They do. And the sense of alarm and the sense of the finish line is right there. Well, for those of you who do not know the Lord, my prayer this morning is that bell would ring loud in your ears. You do not know the day you will meet the Lord face to face. We can't bank on the fact that we will have another day, another decade, another quarter of a century, another half of a century. And so my prayer today is the urgency of that day would hit you hard. And that you would turn from your sins and you would trust in Jesus. So you are protected and covered. And you are brought into a relationship with the Lord. See, what what will happen on that day is we will be exposed for who we are. Those who are in Christ, all that exposure will be covered by Jesus' perfection. Perfection. And righteousness and shed blood. For those who are not in Christ, full exposure, thought, word, deed, actions, things you don't tell anybody about, all on display before a holy God. And on that day, I want you to think about what will not protect you, save you, or prepare you for that day. Your bank account your retirement will not protect you on that day. It will not cover you on that day. The Lord won't look, oh, got a lot of digits in that account. We'll let them slide. No, no money will protect you on that day. Our accomplishments will not protect us on that day. Some of you may have massive accomplishments in your profession and in your life and in your community. None of that will prepare you for that day. Our intelligence will not protect us. On that day, it doesn't matter how much you know, how many degrees you have. You are going to be exposed before the judgment of God. Our wit and cleverness will not protect us on that day. Some of us have a knack for talking our way out of things. Not so on that day. Our family and friends cannot protect us on that day. Some of you who have rejected the Lord have moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, brothers and sisters, cousins, and good friends who love Jesus and live for Jesus. Their faith cannot cover you on that day. And lastly, this one might be confusing, but our religious duties will not protect us on that day. See, it's possible to go through the motions of Christianity without being under the umbrella of Jesus Himself. So you can know Bible verses, you can know Christian songs, you can know the language, you can know the culture. But if you don't know the Savior, you're in great danger on that day so we must heed the divine warning this is why john the baptist was so excited about his ministry and calling listen to this verse this is john 1:29 see john the baptist had been called and prepared to prepare the way for the messiah he actually was filled with the holy spirit when he was in his mother's womb So let that mess with your theology a little bit. Uh, So as a grown man, this is what he said. The next day, he catches sight of Jesus' his cousin coming toward him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Behold, there he is, the Lamb of God, the perfect one without any blemish, fault, or defect. The one who can take away, wash away the sins of the entire world. See, just like the Israelites had to put blood on the doorposts and over the beam that went across the doorposts, and if they did that, they were covered. We too, in a far greater way, we need to be covered by the blood of Jesus that was shed to wash us clean. Which brings us to the second point. We must receive the divine rescue we must receive it it's not enough to know that it exists but we actually have to receive it so in the case of the passover the way to receive it was to believe the warning and do what the lord said through moses look at verse 1 of chapter 12 the lord said to moses and aaron in the land of egypt this month shall be for you the beginning of months so here's a cool side note. The, the Jewish calendar starts on, or started then on the day of Passover. It was such a significant historic event that, hey, we're going to start the beginning of the year with the Passover. That's how our calendar is going to, to be written. See, this was the defining and redemptive event of the Old Testament. It shall be for the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of the month, Every man shall take a lamb according to the father's house, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each of you shall eat, and make you count for your lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or for the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs. At twilight, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel. That's the, the beam that went across the two doorposts of the houses in which they eat. So that's the instructions. Clear instructions. Now we don't know if there's any that didn't do this. But you wouldn't want to be that guy. You wouldn't want to be married to that guy. I told you it was real. I told you. I told you. We should have done it. Should have done it. Wouldn't have cost that much. Um, so those of you who are married understand what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, Got to heed the warning. And hundreds of thousands of Israelites heeded the warning. Look at Exodus 12. Then Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, go and select the lambs for yourselves, according to your clans, and kill the Passover lamb. That's literally what it was. It's called the Passover lamb because if you had the blood of the lamb over your doorpost, the wrath of God, the the angel of death, would pass over you. So the Passover lamb, take a bunch of hyssop. That was like, picture a shrub. So a branch, a leafy branch. You're going to dip that in blood and you're going to paint all around. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it to the blood into the basin. Touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. See, they were... If they obeyed, they were were marked. They were covered. And so the angel would literally pass over to the next house. See, the only thing that protected them was not, it wasn't their nationality. It wasn't their ethnicity. It was having blood over the doorpost so that they were covered. And so what they had to do is decide, are we going to follow these instructions? Do we believe what the Lord said through Moses? And the implication is many, if not all, believed. Think about this too. Their confidence wasn't in what they felt about it. So they weren't taking temperature on feelings. Like, are you sure sure you feel okay about this as you're tucking everybody in at night? Um, No, they did it based on the word. Based on the command. And they believed it. And they took the appropriate action. They also knew that they were counting the cost. We are done with Egypt. Egypt in our lives is over. Because if this doesn't work, they just marked themselves against Pharaoh. And they were going all in with the Lord. With his command and with his promises. So they do this, and imagine that night. They're not to go back out till morning. So they're in the house. They're probably not sleeping. They're probably not able to sleep because this is a major, major, major event. Exodus 12, verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn of the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up that night, he and his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt. That's one of those phrases that I don't think we can appreciate. The entire nation, death has just swept through the land. And there was a great cry. It would have been a loud cry. It would have been happening household to household. For there was not a house where someone was not dead. Isn't that a sobering thought? Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as you have said. Pharaoh saying, go. You know, Pharaoh's now grieving the death of his firstborn child. I don't know how old he was, but he was grieved. You need to go. Go serve the Lord. So Pharaoh has some acknowledgement that this Lord is real. Go. Take your flocks, your herds, as you have said. Be gone and bless me also. So he just kind of throws that in. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. Leave. See, we have, they had a choice. Are we going to obey the warnings and, and take the provision? The warning was judgment was coming. The provision was put the blood around the doorposts. We as human beings have the exact same decision to make. Are we going to heed the warning? And are we going to trust in the provision? The provision is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is Jesus himself. He is the provision. And every human being has to decide, am I going to receive the provision? Am I going to trust that Jesus, when he hung and bled and died on the cross, did so in my place? Taking the judgment that I deserved. Am I going to so identify with Jesus that I'm leaving all other things, passions, desires behind and going all in with Jesus? See, it is our Passover night decision that we have to make. Romans 10 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you have a genuine trust. That Jesus is Lord and King and Savior. You will be rescued once for all. For with the heart one believes and is justified, declared righteous, and with the mouth one confesses, and is saved, is rescued. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, listen to this, everyone, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Anyone, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved, no matter who you are. No matter how hardened you have been to the Lord, to acknowledging the Lord and the world he has made and the world that you live in. Maybe you have spent your life Speaking against that. Maybe you have just spent your life being all tangled up in passions and desires. Maybe you spent your life pursuing things that will never satisfy. And now you're older and you're empty. You feel lost. And the things that promised life did not provide life. And it would take humility to say, I was wrong. I was totally wrong about everything I was pursuing. Well, we all have to have that moment. And when you do, you humble yourself and you call out to the name of Jesus. He will save you, rescue you, and give you life. And the Holy Spirit will come inside of you. And you will be so glad you were wrong. You will never regret owning how wrong you were. And then what will happen is you will go and tell everybody else that this is true. Jesus really is the Savior who came to seek and save that which was lost. Think about this verse. Think about what Jesus did for you. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. So in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is the beauty of Christianity. Jesus takes our place. We switch places. He's credited with our disobedience. We're credited with his obedience he takes our ungodliness we are covered with his perfect godliness no other religion or philosophy in the world has that exchange and because of that exchange it's an absolutely free gift to receive this is why paul wrote this for by grace you have been saved through faith through believing through trusting This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So if you are a Christian, you have received the most incredible gift that is humanly possible to receive. You are loaded spiritually. You have been given eternal life that began the moment you called out to Jesus. So you have to receive it. And if you do receive it, we must marvel in and remember the divine rescue. It is really good and healthy to marvel and remember that you've been rescued. I've been rescued about 25 years ago, 1996, quarter of a century. May I always marvel and remember that I once hated the Lord. I once mocked Christians. And Jesus rescued me. We want to remember. This is why if you read the Old Testament and you just circle Passover every time it shows up, you're going to be amazed how many times you see it. Because God wanted the people to remember that he rescued and delivered them. Look at verses 14 and following. He actually establishes the. The event, the Passover before it, it, it happened in time. This day shall be for you a memorial day. It shall keep, you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your house. For if anyone eats the leaven from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. All the rules. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days. But whatever needs to, to eat, but whatever one eats, needs to eat, that alone may be prepared. So cook what you eat, eat what you cook. Verse 17. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for in this very day I brought you out of the house, out of the land of Egypt. Therefore. You shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. Generation after generation, remember the Passover. In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your house. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native in the land, you shall not eat nothing leavened in all your dwelling places. You shall eat unleavened bread. You probably never heard the word unleavened so many times in your life. What was, what's the point of that? The point was, on the night of the Passover, they had to be ready to go. They had to be ready to go quickly. And God wants them to remember the Passover. Remember God's deliverance. Remember when the great I Am conquered Pharaoh. The one who people thought was a god in Egypt. Remember your rescue. Now think about this. When Jesus was a boy, hundreds and hundreds of years after the Passover... After many ups and downs of Jewish history, they were still keeping the Passover. Look at Luke 2, verse 41. Now his parents, Jesus' parents, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. I mean, think about this. They're going to the feast of the Passover with their son. and It sounds like they did it every year. At this point, he's 12 years old. We don't know when, but at some point, Jesus, we know by the time he was an adult, he knew he was the Passover lamb. So imagine that. Joseph and Mary, toddler Jesus, he's coming along, he's getting older, he's now 12. They're going to the Passover lamb, which was a foreshadow of the ultimate Passover that Jesus one day would be the fulfillment of. That just is wild. Talk about God patiently orchestrating a plan of salvation. So when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. And he began to to talk with the religious leaders in the temple. So we don't know when Jesus became aware that he was the fulfillment of of the Messiah passages in the Old Testament. We don't know when he knew he was the Passover lamb, but we do know he clearly knew he was the Passover lamb as an adult when his ministry began. I want you to think and consider these words as Jesus is going to celebrate the Passover, this event from Exodus 11 and 12 with the disciples. May it have just a a fresh, vivid picture of all that Jesus went through to rescue us. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, he said, this cup is poured out for you as the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man must go as has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. They began to question one another, which of them this was going to be. So there Jesus is, right before he's going to be crucified. And he's making connections for his disciples. I am the Passover lamb. I am the one, the ultimate blood that will be put over you, that will cover you once for all. We we have to marvel and be amazed at that. See, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So if you are in Christ, all guilt, shame, remorse, regret, washed away by Jesus Christ. See, this has real implications for today. For your life today. When you are hounded by memories of the past. Remember Christ is your Passover lamb. You are covered. Once for all. Past sins. Present sins. Future sins. Covered. Safe and secure in Jesus. It should make us want to run and dance and sing. And be amazed. That Jesus paid it all. Paid for every single wrong. That we could ever do. The last response, and we're going to see this in the weeks to come, is in light of our rescue, we must respond in obedience and worship to our divine rescuer. Verse 50 says, all the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. And so we're going to see in the weeks to come, we're going to see the law is given, the Ten Commandments are given, there's a lot of requirements. But what I want you to remember when we get there is the rescue happened first. And so the worship and the obedience isn't to earn the rescue, it's a response to the rescue. And so if you are in with Jesus, if you have been saved by Jesus, you should worship, you should obey, you should do everything he says Not to earn favor, but because you have favor. And you will be free. So let's have the band come up. Let's stand. We're going to sing one final song and respond to the Lord. Father, thank you for devising this plan where all our guilt, sin, and shame are placed upon the perfect Lamb of God. Lord, may the reality of this just amaze us, fill us with wonder and grace. Lord, fill our hearts with joy as we sing to you, and we ask all this in your name. Amen. Let's all stand.